right. I can pray. <laughs> Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, we're back. We just, we just had Here all of our interesting go. conversation mm-hmm. before yeah. the episode started. That's why we shouldn't ever do that. That was vintage ah. 3DN, though. Mm-hmm. Dang, man. That was the good old days coming back to me. <laughs> man, at the beginning, back in the day, Mike, you used to help with this, too, but we would just set that little mic up in the middle of the room and talk for, I don't know, hour and a half? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And literally, we'd cut it down to like I don't know 25. what that's worth to people, but I might throw out there $10,000. I don't know. <laughs> We'd uh, we'd cut it down to like twenty five minutes mm-hmm. with all those little interludes, and we'd just try to patch it together. I remember one of the earliest criticism was from Andrew Dietz. It's like I don't I don't know what you guys are talking about, and then all of a sudden there's a, another topic, <laughs> <laughs> and we were just editing it Ooh, out all the garbage, and we've gotten pretty good at just talking for forty five minutes or an hour straight, and I don't have to edit it. Yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We would have to edit out all that well gold, I'd say. Yeah. Would we say that those early episodes are edited though? M- uh, maybe managed, manicured. Yeah. Manicured. <laughs> They're groomed. Think about how much life has happened in between now and then though, I living know, down the hall that. from each other. Mhm. Just setting up a little microphone. Mhm. Dang. Maybe and we should then, make this a clip show. Like this is this is one of those Lazy Man is episodes. It, is this our flashback episode? What is yeah, that? We were what just does that flashback. mean? You What's know, a like clip a, episode? Sitcoms used to do this every once in a while where they just didn't write a new episode. They they write like part of an episode, which was the people reminiscing. Remembering old episodes. And then they just show clips of old episodes. I hmm. love that idea. Actually, I think that sounds like more work than just talking. <laughs> What's your favorite episode? That's all though? we do is talk. That's <laughs> yeah. either way we're just going to be oh, talking. Man, that is our job so to talk. Words. That's so, so words. true. Yeah. What's That's your true. favorite 3 Dogs North episode? I don't know. You've probably listened to more than anybody else, Connor. Yeah. That's well, true. that's well, at least of the 3 of us. That's why I don't like going back and listening because i had to listen the first time i had to both be in it and then listen again while i edited it when you edit it are you harsh on your own words um do you want me to be honest no <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm usually i'm usually like oh good i'm talking again <laughs> dang it's the walker percy like I, the, the person you look for in the group photo is yourself in the photo yeah Man, it's amazing. Even be- when you said Walker Percy, I already knew that you were going to say the photo thing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. such a that's such a brilliant insight. It is. Yeah, it is. Mm. When does he talk about that? Near the beginning of uh, Lost in the Cosmos. It's kind of his making the case for the fact that we have this ego that we're not sure exists. Like the whole the whole thing about being a person is that you're not an object in the world you're a perspective on the world and 
you're constantly trying to make sure that you are actually in the world. Mm. That's the whole problems of reentry. There is an episode Jeez. of Three Dogs North called Problems of Reentry where Nick Blaha talks about that. You guys were on break. And so I just continued the podcast over the summer with <laughs> Nick Blaha and Scott that. Harder and DMAC. That's right. Yeah, that was very early days. That's sacrilege, man. That is <laughs> absolute sacrilege. We need to delete that immediately. Yeah, Can, is there any way we could burn those files? <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> the files are in the computer. I think okay. I tried to listen to that episode at one point, <laughs> but it's um, wasn't us, so I just turned it off. No, it wasn't. Mm. Also early on, before this podcast had an identity, this is really boring uh, to talk about the podcast on the podcast, but there was somebody who asked after I graduated Mundelein, um, they're like, so are the other three North guys going to kind of keep going with the podcast? And I thought, that's not... It's called Three Dogs North, but it's about us three dogs, not <laughs> just any dogs. It's not just this any is, dogs. Yeah, yeah. come on. I, I kind of took a little bit of offense at that. Like, oh, yeah, you can just pass this on to whoever is living on the hall. <laughs> You're replaceable. <laughs> <laughs> Who was our first? Was D, We had DMAC on, I think, before Bishop Barron, right? Mm-hmm. And then didn't he we was have Mano on guest. one time? Ma- Mano was our first silent guest. He, he actually literally sat there. He literally sat in the room. That's perfect. <laughs> which is a miracle. Right. Yeah, because wow. Kyle Mano is sitting in silence. Father Kyle Mano is sitting in silence in a room with three other people talking for 45 minutes is a miracle. Mm. Dang, man. That man. Father that Kyle shows Mano. the reverence he had for the cast. No yeah. doubt. I miss that guy. Talk about that's a that's a dog through and through, Father Kyle Mano. Mm-hmm. Right there. He's Former also repping, dog too. He's also repping some pretty quality online content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, so how are you guys doing? Well, I was gonna ask you, how's the um, the coffee shop coming along? How's oh, yeah. the bar and UIC and all coming your along, peeps? Coming along great. Um yeah, it's been it's been interesting, man. It's uh learning a lot um about coffee and business and building. It's been it's been cool. Um Well we should be getting our espresso machine in this week and then getting a training person out there to out here to train me and a few others, the focus missionaries, uh, a couple other staff. And uh start training up some students as well. I think we're going to have a real soft opening, um, real limited menu, but just start to see what kind of traffic it builds. I think even with the, the bar and the new furniture and just the vibes in there, we put on music every morning and kind of get a little bit more lively vibe in. There's been more people coming, more new people. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's already doing what it, I hoped it would, which is give us opportunities to interact, um, with people and, Hmm. Uh, create a community and hearing kids say things like, oh, this is the this is the best place on campus to hang out during the day. Um, that's what that's what you want. Wow. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah, it is yeah. awesome. Why do they say that? I think because the rest of the places on campus, not to rag on it, but, you know, like libraries, it's a commuter campus, so um, people are just always looking for somewhere to to set their stuff down you know in between classes and whatnot yeah and the library is often full 
and it's a library. The student center is also full and it's like a food court basically. Um, but this place is, you know, we have cool furniture and, uh, a variety of places where you can sit with your friends and good music, a fireplace, uh, right now, free coffee. You have a fireplace. Yeah. It's a real fireplace, which is, which is nice to have real fire, real wood, but it also requires having to attend to it. So I don't worth know. It. I think that's worth it. Versus a Dude. gas. Dirt versus a gas one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For the vibe you want. Definitely. What do you call this episode? Real fire. Ooh. Real fire. Real fire. Fire vibes. Fire vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless somebody gets burned and you get sued and the whole thing goes down. But, <laughs> dude, Still until then. Yeah. <laughs> the vibes were worth it. The vibes, for sure. Yep. They were so into them that they stuck their hand in the fire. <laughs> dude, I, I like the sound of that a lot, though. Uh, this is the best place on campus to to hang out. Uh, that's a culture thing, man. That's really yep. good. That's really good. I was trying to think this morning. Who said beauty will save the world? Is that Von Balthazar? Was that I you, Rob? Do- I thought it was me. <laughs> what the? Guy <laughs> said that. Yeah, no, I yeah. don't know. Was it Von Balthazar? I've heard it attributed to Dostoevsky, but I. Have oh, no that's idea. right. That's right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think of how I would explain this project in like a newsletter to donors mm-hmm. of why this, mm-hmm. why this is not just a harebrained scheme to build a business, but rather about salvation. You did I did I ever tell you guys after we did our this was like two months ago after the Springfield uh, priest convocation did I talk about that on the cast uh, we had Professor Anthony Esselin you guys ever heard of that guy yeah he wrote Out of the Ashes great yeah. book did we talk about this already I I don't think so uh, I don't remember I never I never listened to the podcast so <laughs> That's I wouldn't know he was really really awesome so he just talked for like three days or two days um for us but it's all about i mean like a catholic a catholic culture and, and families etc and i mean so he covered all kinds of different stuff but i mean just a couple of the stories that he told just profound man like he went through and i'll i have notes on it but um kind of the short synopsis of it was he talked about like these like the different plays that used to happen I think for Corpus Christi throughout England um, for like hundreds of years. And he, he like went through one of the Corpus Christi plays, which like incorporated the incarnation into like the culture and the climate of the time. And so he said like one small town in England, and he had a specific small town that he talked about, but like all throughout the countryside, all these little towns might have like, 20 different Corpus Christi plays that they would act out. And it was like kind of this huge thing. Um, but he walked us through one, which was so, so cool. But then he, he talked about, and I mean, this was the course of a whole presentation, but he kind of made the argument that like, who would have seen these plays growing up was Shakespeare. Hmm. And so like Shakespeare comes from, this culture and then like all like tons of his imagery and things like that even from his best works just kind of like drip with symbolism and imagery like from these corpus christi plays in like this culture that he grew up in and so he used that to kind of like i think in his take like our current climate 
his critique was not that the culture was bad. It just isn't a culture hmm. as he defines it. So he made like a very cool kind of distinction in there. But he just had like beautiful stories. Like he had, um, he walked us through, he just closed his eyes and kind of took the mic one time. And he recited the, I, th I think it was like Satan's monologue from Milton's Paradise Lost, which I haven't read. So I don't even know if that's what it's called, et cetera. But there's this, it's like a monologue of Satan. I'm pretty sure it's from Milton. And he said that he has, right now, he has four of the five books from Paradise Lost memorized. And it's like his life goal to memorize all five because, and he was inspired to do it because at some point, like, he either knew or stayed with, somehow he knew, like, this very simple farmer. And he was an older guy, like, not, didn't sound like he was educated or anything like that, but he had memorized Milton's Paradise Lost. And he would recite it to him, to himself, like as he worked every day. And he just always thought, like, I want to do that in in my life. So it's just constantly about how, like, culture is kind of this sustaining thing. And then he would make the argument in in lieu of, like, just today. And he's like, it's just not, it's just literally not present, like what we're talking about. Um, so stuff like that, man, that's, that's really cool to hear anyway. Hmm. Does he mean that there's no culture present or there's not a Catholic culture? No, he, he means, I think I heard him as like, there isn't a culture present. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that because I think, um, I mean, I've, I've always heard culture kind of defined, at least the phenomenon of culture between the, the two plays on cult, cultivate and cult as in religion. Um, like both your agricultural food. Um, I mean, what are the things that really separate a culture from another culture, which there's a lot of travel shows about, like going and eating the food in different places, like how you prepare and what ingredients you use and, and things like that are very mm -hmm. local to a place and how people eat and host and hospitality, uh, customs, manners, like that's all <clears throat> the agreed upon, this is how we are. And when you go learn a new culture that's what's charming about a culture is like oh this is how they they sit on the floor not on a chair and blah 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 and they make the tea or they eat they all eat off the same plate or something like that but there's just kind of like these agreed upon this is how we are together and food is central and then also religion like the reason you have mm -hmm. festivity like in peeper is because you're you're resting from your labors to affirm the goodness of creation and so things like christmas and Easter for Christians are the times you, you have to stop working and just glory in the way things are um, because God has made them this way and that's the purpose of our life. And so religion and, and food are all, that's the basis of leisure and, and festivity, which is the basis of culture. Um, if you're either totally ground down by poverty and have to just survive so you're not worried about like the preparations of the food so much as like getting it so you don't die of starvation. You can't have a culture uh, because there's not enough rest to be at rest. But our problem, uh, this is Peeper again, is that we're not, we're not forced by either poverty or some totalitarian regime to just have a culture of total work. We just have a culture of total work because we're bored and restless. Right. This is literally like the point. I, I just found it. Um, 
the notes on my my phone. But like in in saying that, like I wrote down today is there is not a popular culture, like meaning there's nothing for people to give their hearts to or wonder at. Right. And then his next point is like the church is kind of the last and only chance to do this. Mm-hmm. And so he, yeah, gosh, I'm reading this again. So he he even talked about like. He, so he told the story actually of St. Boniface of like he cut down the tree and he went to literally kind of like the backwoods of, of Germany and he cut down the sacred tree that they had worshipped. But like he said, he, he like in doing that, he wasn't calling them like a bunch of idiots or dumb, but he was telling them, no, you just have the wrong tree. Like the tree that redeems you is the cross. And so, like, he was able, like, through that culture to bring something in. And I think that's what he was saying was, like, kind of the real tragedy is, like, we don't even have that today. Right. Yeah, which is why it's it's kind of counterproductive to be countercultural if it's mm-hmm. just pure counterculture. Like, oh, this, this culture is bad. Um, because what are we going to replace it with? This was a thing. This is a big reason why I wanted to do that Christmas play in Blue Island. Um, mm. Same reason, like Saint Francis wanted people to see what the crash would look like, uh, God being born as a baby out in the cold and the straw and whatnot. Um, and one cool grace from that I still remember is this kid, uh, high school kid. He was a senior that year, and he just wasn't really that involved in the youth group and um, didn't come to church. Kind of an edgier kid, but I always liked him. He's cool. Um, I thought he might have a vocation to be honest, but, um, just wasn't that engaged. And I, I asked him, I'm like, dude, will you be Zechariah? It's one of the hardest parts and has like this long, the the whole Benedictus thing. Um, we're just, I just made the script straight out of Luke, the nativity story. And, um, he's like, yeah, sure. And he comes to the first practice with the whole thing memorized. Like, Hmm. dude, nice job. How'd you do that? He's like, well, I was just shoveling snow for my mom and I just kept going over and over again in my head. I was just picturing this kid, uh, you know, I'd gone to Catholic school his whole life, but really not interested in the faith at all. And he, there he is, shoveling snow, uh, going, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who's come to his people and set them free. He's raised up for a mighty Savior. And just like the idea that, that that, you know, it might not still be in his head, but like memorizing Milton and Nick Blaha got me into trying to memorize stuff when I was in college. And there was this this metaphor of uh, the stained glass window. I can't remember where he got it from, but it's like you're, what you spend a lot of attention on tends to be like a lens that you look out at the world. Hmm. You know, like all these movie quotes. or Sim- For me, it's Simpsons quotes. I have so many Simpsons quotes in my head that me and my brother, <laughs> when we hang out, like any situation reminds you of a Simpsons quote. Sure. Or a Dumb and Dumber uh, quote. Got a exactly. lot of those. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, that's the windows we're looking out at, at the world with. Gosh, that's true, man. You know, so memorizing wow. Shakespeare or Milton or Tolkien or whatever um, just Scott. gets you, yeah, gets you to uh, <laughs> see the world differently. I remember one time I was hanging with my uh, pastor who's come up on this podcast a few times, Bishop Bartosik, and we're out there and it's like uh, springtime. I was on internship, it's like March, April, and the buds are coming on the trees and he just goes, nature's first green is gold her hardest hue to hold. And he starts reciting this whole frost poem, which I think Mm. is called green as gold or something like that. It's about spring. Um, 
but as bud gives way to leaf so eden sank to grief um something 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 nothing gold can stay it's, it's like this really sad poem about how the beginnings are so promising and then you know fall is coming um i'm like dude what is that <laughs> it just kind of came to the tip of his tongue as he's looking out at the at the spring that's awesome um, that's culture to me yeah or even like it that's interesting the the simpsons quote thing too of because uh, did oaks have you guys memorize uh to be or not to be as well when you took his humanities class he had us pick a a soliloquy but yeah okay we had to do to be or not to be but and i don't have i couldn't do it like it would take me a day or so to kind of get it all back but it is interesting like how often like once you do have something like that it does it does come back you know of um yeah i don't know i mean just thinking about well it's the stained glass that. window thing is like you you put up these windows in your eyes <laughs> or your mind that now the same light is coming in the same world is out there but it's filtered through this image you know yeah. of like you've formed a way the world is in your head and that that's the thing is all of us do this all of us have a preconceived um way the world is like that god exists in it and that christ is god and that the sacraments are christ and um you know but that takes time to really like have your imagination formed which is why stories and plays and art and songs and poetry and stuff help you to see um because the only way to see is to we, we talked about this a long time ago what do i have to believe to really see mm -hmm. you know um and i i thought of it as like the standing in the river um standing in the river in idaho 10 years after i'd first done that on a camping trip when i was 21 and now i'm 31 uh and just being able to see it better because of my experience and the things I've read and the experiences of prayer I've had. Um, what I believe is different now, or I believe more firmly so I can see more clearly what, what the world actually is and delight hmm. in it. But I, I don't know, man, there's so much, I'm also more aware now of my own brokenness and my own inability to see. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I Two things came to mind just talking about culture. Um, yeah, but also to that last point that you made, Connor, that's a, I don't know, that's a big time blessing to be able to say, like, at least in some ways, my vision of, of reality and of the world is is focusing in instead of becoming more and more blurry, even though that, that mm -hmm. happens in other ways. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's that's the, the case. There, I, there's the rub. I, there's the rub. Man, it, I hear that, that, uh, monologue all the time. Like, yeah. different aspects of it, different pieces of it. The slings of, whether suffer, to suffer the, the slings and arrows sling of outrageous fortune of outrageous by opposing fortune. thus end them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's definitely sank into, I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of, obviously, literature and, and theater, but, I don't think everybody can say that, that their vision of life is focusing in some ways, um, that oftentimes it does get more and more blurry. Like, what is all this about? As you get older, that 
that would be a horrible question to not have answered, to be honing in on something, just to be ever broadening and ever blurring. That would be so disorienting and upsetting. Um, so it really is a gift to have some, like some sort of an aim and understanding that, that we're working towards that sharpens how I see life. And yeah, I just, I can't handle asking these Mondo questions every second of every single day. And so to have some like clearly defined things, um, or to try uh, to figure out the answer on your own without the aid of a, of a historical culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so talking about culture, I thought of Poland and John Paul II's emphasis on on culture as the existence of Poland, even wasn't when it wasn't recognized as a nation or as an independent country on its own, when it was occupied by all these other different powers, these world powers, he would say that it still existed, uh, even though it wasn't recognized, it didn't have national lines hmm. or anything like that. Because the culture was always so present there that the culture actually outlasted kind of the more artificial, superficial national superpower battles that were going on. That eventually when when order was in place enough, the culture emerged and sustained what what actually was Poland through its language, which I would say like encompasses the humanities, music, literature, uh, poetry a theater, all of those different things um, kind of gathered into language. Um, but then also the religion aspect, the um, we worship together and are all oriented towards the same God and the same belief and the same, yeah, belief system. But then ritualistically, like the way that we act, the way that we practice all of that sustained Poland, even in times when, People literally didn't acknowledge their existence, uh, that they, I mean, talk about subterranean existence there. They were like under the surface being occupied. And then when they had space to actually live freely, it, it emerged from there. Um, so just the power of culture, JP2 uh, talks so much about that. Um, yeah. So, so, it, but if the States isn't, if we don't have culture, then it's, the other question is, well, what is it? What, like, what, what are we doing? And it seems like, so I'll just throw this out there and see what y'all think about it. It seems like what many people would define as culture in the United States is just a, a series of continual things that we do. Hmm. It's just, which is kind of perfect because that kind of is our culture is we just do stuff. But that's not necessarily what culture is. And so there's just habituated practices that occur on the on the scale of millions of people nationally. I mean, is that what is that what you would say we have going on here in the States? It's almost it's like a s I don't I mean, I don't think that's wrong at all. I think of it as like a it's like a cycle of consumption, you mm -hmm. know, of like this um whatever it is if it's seeking like a self um <clears throat> excuse me um fulfillment or self-actualization or or what but it's like this you know I, i'm going back to like dr esselin then and like one of the things like just the practical things he talked about was like the importance of knowing like a family story etc and like 
taking kids to like know, like really know their grandparents, et cetera. So like they know that story. But if like we're so intent on, I don't, I, I'm, I'm missing the word. Well, you're like creating yourself anew yeah, in every generation. It, it, exactly. And mm-hmm. so there's like this, um, not, not necessarily, and it's not a disdain, at least like around these parts, you know, I mean, it's certainly not a disdain, um, for, for the past or traditions or anything like that, but it's also like, I mean, I, I think that is kind of lost a lot of times as well. And I think maybe in the more overarching, like whatever you call it, whether you call it modernity or whatever it is, there kind of is a, like a resentment towards the past of like, this is the only way. And like everything before us is bad and we have to like, in a sense, recreate ourselves anew. But the problem with that is that like, that cycle eats itself like it consumes people in a bad way i think anyway this is something wendell berry talks about with his whole agriculture ideas that um the myth of progress relies on sort of quasi worship of a of an ethereal state of being called the future which is always receding on the horizon that you never actually get to the future but someday things are going to be so much better because we have the all the inventions we need and nobody's going to die anymore because we have met perfect medicine and all this stuff and so it's like a we're we're moving farther and farther away from the benighted past where we didn't know things into this glorious future um but we're always therefore restless and unhappy because the future never gets here and there's always something that could be more optimized or efficient or could always be more prosperous and wealthy. Um, whereas, uh, you know, reverence for the past or, or thinking that there's something to be learned from your elders or previous generations. Um, that's kind of like Chesterton's whole thing about he, he believes in democracy, but he, he includes all the dead people too. Like everybody gets a voice. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just the people who happen to be alive right now. We're, we're the right ones. Hmm. Um, that's, I think, what a culture is, is like a, a heritage or a, a corporate memory um, of a place, of a... Yeah, I, I don't know, dude. I think cycle of consumption is a good one. You just look at the food part, not even the religious part, like sure. eating in our eating in our cars because there's not enough time between our, our work and our, our home... And our home is basically a place where we just consume things and sleep. Um, our common, our, our closest thing to like a common literary or, or artistic heritage is the entertainment industry, which is built so that ads can be sold to us or, or ads can be shown to us that convince us we need things. And I, yeah, don't get me on this whole cynical thing. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean, that's true. You and, know what and I mean? There's, yeah. I was thinking of, in that, I don't know what made me think of this, but, uh, so like my dad and, and mom always owned a grocery store, you know, up until a couple, couple years ago. And it was all one of my favorite days, the last like probably five or six years that they owned it. It's like maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, but I think usually once a year they would do just a big meat sale. And so they would bring in like a ton of product, but it'd be really cheap. And it was kind of like known in, in the town whenever that was happening. And so I mean, it would, it was like a huge, huge day of sales, but 
um, and all that, which was which was awesome. But yeah, I, I remember going back, and I would usually try if I could to be there to to help and like maybe cut a little bit of meat or make hamburger or something like that. But just to kind of stock, and people would order like specific stuff and all that. But it was, it was kind of this interest. I've never really put words on this. Um, but there's something kind of delightful in in people that um, there was kind of like you could just see this moment of like, hey, we're getting this like for this purpose or um, I don't know. I mean, there, there's kind of like a delight in people to be able to say, I know it kind of sounds silly, but like, wow, poor coins are like this cheap. And so like, hey, look what we can like do together now because of this and like we're gonna have people over like because of this and it was very honestly it was like very very communal and um and so that probably sounds like small town stuff in a lot of ways but it was kind of a beautiful experience um in that and some of the people certainly didn't have a lot of money and i just remember like thinking about like wow this is a big thing um for them like in in this moment of like what better way like to spend like very hard earned money than like getting the treat of like getting some ribeye steaks or something like that. And it was just, it's so opposite of like that consumption or whatever it is of like, Oh, let's just go, go out to eat or let's um, exactly like eat in our cars. Does that make any sense? I don't even know why I thought of that. I thought of that in years. For sure. For sure. Because so when you're selling them these these delicious but oftentimes expensive pork wines, it's to people who probably couldn't usually afford them or choose to choose to buy them. Is that right? A, I mean, in a sense, but like there there's just kind of like honestly, just like a delight in people, you know, um, at this thing. And well, well so, maybe yeah. also it sounds like part of the delight is oh, this is what delicious pork tenderloins were meant for like to be enjoyed the way that they're going to enjoy them. i think more than that i think more than that it was like what better way could i possibly spend this money huh does that make sense like do you see that switch there Mets, from what you were saying more so than like the delighting in the pork or whatever it is but it's like how could there possibly be a better way to like to spend money than this it was just great yeah, in a certain way, it's like, like a waste in a good way, but sure, it's cheap enough, and it's also like an event where oh, we're all doing this. We're all going to have big parties with uh, kind of prime yeah. rib or yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, I like that. Like this is what we work. This is why I have money. Yeah, is to to spend it in this way. Yeah, I've never thought about that. I don't. I have no idea where that thought came from. But no, that's a that's a like a good way to, um, to say it. Yeah. Well, in a way, it's like you read you read the uh, Exodus when he's like instituting all these feasts, and I always think it's interesting that God commands us to rest. It's like one of the, even in Jesus's time, that was one of the commandments they took the most seriously was the Sabbath. Um, like the Feast of Booths, and a lot of these were just kind of um, a, you know, a little kind of appropriated or baptized festivities that already existed because they were around the seasons and the harvest and um, and stuff like that. Like this is when we get the fruit, and this is when we get the grain, and this is when we, you know, 
ferment beer and make wine and things like that. And so they just have big parties like a meat sale and everybody, the booths one is hilarious because it was about how the Israelites lived in tents in the desert. So they all just built tents on top of their houses and lived in the tents for a week and partied. Um, you know, like just, that's what, uh, if you think about all your fond memories of, of childhood around like Christmas and 4th of July and, and the different times that people just rested and just hung out. Um, and that's where a little bit of my ennui and malaise comes from is that I look back and I want that and I'm like homesick or nostalgic for, for that time. But I realized like a lot of my Christmas memories are based on like Sega Genesis and, um, like, uh, kind of commercial or consumptive things and not so much like the midnight mass and the Christmas play and, yeah, you know, things like that, that are, are more essential to why we delight. Um, hmm. you know, it's more just like, yeah, it's no wonder that it's sort of ephemeral because it, it was based in consumer goods, which are by, like by design, you're meant to get sick of them at, at a certain point so that you want other stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dude, I, a memory just came to mind. I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but me and my younger brother, Kevin, we laugh about this all the time. Kev. Because it's, Kev. Because it's, it's such, because <laughs> it's such a funny and like really beautiful, cherished memory that we have. So down here in Georgia, well, obviously we don't get a ton of snow. And so our Christmases, just had a different look and a different feel than probably they, they do up in Illinois and um, our whole winters. Like, you are looking for snow the whole winter down here. And so if it even... If it people even snowed. start... It snowed on Halloween up here. It snowed on Halloween? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was freezing on Halloween down here, but it didn't snow. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. So there, there's a whole thing with the, with the snow or whatever, but uh, we have... I have a lot of just really special memories around Christmas. And it, it was truly like kind of magical, nostalgic feel to it. Uh, and I think a lot of it was just relational stuff, just hanging out with my family. And I think my parents did a good job of creating like a Christmas, a special Christmas culture uh, in the house. And we would drive around and our car and make hot chocolate and look at Christmas lights. Like I uh, had all the best Christmas lights in the neighborhood. And, and then we'd come back and watch the Grinch and dad would, would read the nativity story before we go to bed and, um, all these different things like around the Christmas tree with these beautiful lights and, and the stockings hung and all this stuff. But I remember going to bed, um, and whether this was specifically on Christmas or not, but there were a couple of nights where we had heard that there was a possibility that it would snow. And <laughs> like one, how am I supposed to sleep now and not watch the window <laughs> for the entire night? Okay. You tell me that. That's impossible. You get a 10 year old, it's going to snow and then he's supposed to sleep. Uh, so we would stay up in these bunk beds um, and we would just alternate back and forth singing Christmas hymns because we just associated Christmas with snow and it was like a type of praying. We were, we were like, Hey, well, let's just pray that it snows. And it eventually turned into us just singing 
all of these hymns from Mass that we had learned over over the years in hopes that it would snow. And I remember the reason we kept doing it was it it worked one time. <laughs> we woke we woke up and it snowed and we were like, "Oh, my goodness <laughs> that we found the answer to days off of school which may have been the hidden motive there but i have no idea why we did it but we would just start singing hymns but it makes me think of those guys who were shoveling and had those things memorized and those like poems that just came f- just flowed off of people's tongues it's like i don't know what to do <laughs> right now so I'm just going to sing. I'm going to sing church hymns about Christmas. Uh, huh. And See, man, it, uh, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Like that story, it's interesting cuz it's like that story is such unique to like to your family, but at the same time like that makes me nostalgic for home like in a deeper sense. And I don't know, man, like cuz I w- I would call that like and I think way back to like Dr. Esselin's kind of presentation, I think that's his point is that like, but it is still possible to build a culture in the family today. Yeah. And like, it sounds like that's what your mom and dad did, you know? Um, and there's just so many, I mean, so many different ways we could go with that. It was interesting too, of sitting through all those presentations of like just kind of the small, I mean, literally my hometown's 900 people, you know, and it just in the middle of a cornfield. And I remember thinking a couple of times, I was like, wow, I actually think that I grew up according to like kind of these definitions and everything, but like I grew up more in a culture than again, I, I don't, you know, there, you could argue this, but like any of my friends that I grew up in the suburbs, just because like you knew who you bought from and like you knew like people um and i was thinking the other i found my old uh i don't know how i found this the other day but uh my old checkbook which i write like a check a year now but i still have like the ledger in it is still from when i started a checking account when i was like 14 years old oh cool and yeah like the first thing that i bought like the first check i wrote was i had saved up money from working for my dad at the store and it was um was it a britney like, spears cd what's that sorry was it a britney spears cd <laughs> oh dude, i probably had one of those at some point <laughs> but no i bought a shotgun like a guy i mean i know the guy it was uh like mark blair was a farmer in town and i saved up and he had won a, like a, a ducks unlimited banquet or something like that and so it was all you know like he gave it to me at a really good price because he knew i was looking um for one and like literally you know kind of heard about it from like tom's auto supply in town where i bought all like the parts for my first truck and everything like that i mean you just knew the people you bought from um which is kind of the whole thing and didn't you write your master's paper on distributism by the way Metz? like of chesterton no i I wrote it on chesterton but not on distributism okay but isn't that kind of like the basic premise there of like in a sense, knowing who you buy from. I don't know what made me think of that. Sorry to change the subject from your Christmas stories. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of how I understand Chesterton's idea of distributism. But but there's a lot of like self, they're, they're um, Im- implicit um, safeties or, or things that help for moral behavior to exist. 
when you when you simply just live with the people that you're interacting with and trading with and buying and selling from. So like let's say this guy like sells you a, a cheapskate uh shotgun and then you like see him the next day and you're like, Bill, what the heck, dude? <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the shotgun stinks, you know? And then th- there's a whole community that comes into play that helps to sustain like fair behavior that helps organically that it's not regulated it's not legislated but it's like no this is my neighbor and so there's this natural um there's a natural desire to do good to your brother and sister and i know there's just a lot to be said about yeah like you said just simply knowing who you're buying from um you know that reminds me of is jaber crow uh when uh the guy from the county or state comes by who inspects barber shops and is like you need hot water oh, yeah. in here oh yeah and he's been a barber for like 40 years and never had hot water and now this guy that he's never met from some city that he's never been to is like it's my business to make sure you guys have hot water and he's just, i think that's when he quits isn't it yeah we talked yeah. about that on an episode mm-hmm. that didn't air no we didn't that yeah, that was like a, an important image for me. I think mm. it didn't air. Yeah. He didn't blame the guy, interestingly. He's like, he was just a glove on the hand of this mm. big faceless institution that was now like this, like the small couldn't survive anymore because we just agreed on big as the only way forward. Which there's a lot of advantages to being big. Oh, Next yeah, day man. shipping, for instance. It's nice, but you give up the meat sales. Yeah, Rob. I'm honestly, I I love. I would say Iliopolis has its own like little culture, and the way that you know its history, I've always been amazed by. Um, like you know the stories of the high school teams and the people who went before you and played there and went to school there and built the town. And that's true, um, man. I'm jealous of that. I think yeah. that's awesome. No, I'm very thankful for it. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, it's a it's a dying thing. Like small towns are dying and shrinking, and you know, businesses are pretty much pretty much gone. You know, even from like when I was little, um, and you know, I can still go around town and like I know who like owns which building and because what businesses were in there and everything like that. But right. they're not there anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's a sad note to end on. Yeah, it is. That's a. It's. I think it's a lament, though. Yeah. You know, which is good. Like, mm-hmm. it's good to lament things like that, or at least call to mind that it isn't good. Of. Um, For sure. I mean, I, but that's like. I don't know. That's the hope of. I mean, it's kind of back to Doctor Eslin's point. Is like. That's it. Like the church is is kind of the last chance like right. to, totally to hold on to that. that and families um, because it's like that stuff's very, very real. And, um, but it doesn't mean that we can't do it in small ways, mm-hmm. you know, um, there was something that a parish yeah, or a family or whatever. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right, 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 right. Yes. Yes, dude. Because what I've seen happen before, dang it. We're out of time. Okay. Well, what I've seen happen before is that I've seen modern, um, 
modern ideas or postmodern ideologies implemented in the Catholic world where it's like, oh, we need culture. And so the best way to do that is let's create this new Catholic culture here. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Which is not exactly right. So it's like using the philosophy of this modern postmodern idea that let's create something new that, yeah, is a return back to something. But I think actually a lot, a lot of times the answer is plugging into like using the parish actually um, and trying to, trying to unfold the culture that exists within a parish and then allow that to expand into the community. Um, yeah. Cause you like, I, at least I've seen a lot of autonomous independent moves to make things Catholic again. Mm-hmm. And like, I think even that it kind of misses the boat in some way. Um, Cause there was a little, a little portion, a characteristic of the definition of culture that you gave Rob that said, I don't know if we have something to give our hearts to. Like yeah. culture is something that you can give your heart to. Or wonder at. Um, I mean, those are the two or, or wonder at, yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think, well, I, I'd like to pick that up if we remember at, at our next cast. I, I, I think there's something there. Yeah, definitely. For shizzle. Yeah. It, life should be fun. Yeah, like, dude. It it in, it entails suffering and being a sacrifice and and everything um, like that. But I I guess that's kind of like maybe my last thought on on all of that. Even that description is like life should be fun and <laughs> it should be like festive. Um, and you there's requirements for that, you know, in order for it to be real. Um, but we got to remind ourselves, like, of priests and like and at parishes etc it's like life should be dang fun yeah not just efficient yeah good 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 talk all right guys well break on three one two three Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.